check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here, and today in episode 111, I'm responding to Jan Richardson and Michelle Dufresne. They recently shared a webinar called Getting the Facts Straight on Guided Reading. Buckle up, because this week, the first thing we're going to do is listen to Jan Richardson's defense of 3 queuing. I am jumping in here a few months later to let you know that Pioneer Valley issued a copyright claim against me for using their audio. So I'm keeping the episode here, but I'm going to paraphrase what Dr. Richardson and Dufresne said instead of using the audio from the webinar. Dr. Richardson starts by saying that 3Qing is tricky because it's been twisted out of shape. She says that 3Qing is not a program for teaching reading. She says that in reading recovery circles, meaning, structure, and visual are better described as sources of information that students use when they try to figure out an unknown word in connected text. And she then quotes the Science of Reading Defining Guide, which says, in recent years, our knowledge of how the brain acquires the skill of reading has evolved. We now have a deeper understanding of how the brain processes multiple sources of information while reading. She says, it's not a program. People who are criticizing 3Qing do not think it's a program. We know that it's exactly what she just said it was, when kids are using multiple sources of information to land on a word. And nice try, quoting from the page in the Reading League's Science of Reading Defining Guide. Her quote is actually from the page about how reading is processed in the brain, so she's taken it out of context. She didn't bother reading the quote on page 22, which says, examples of instructional practices not supported by scientific evidence Implicit and incidental instruction in word reading, visual memorization of whole words, guessing from context, and picture cues. Dr. Richardson goes on to say that the queuing systems have been attacked and even banned. Not, she says, quote, because anyone disagrees that students need to use these multiple sources of information, but because of misinformation and misunderstandings. Hang on a second. We know that students use multiple sources of information to check their reading, right? So if you read it and it didn't sound right or didn't make sense, you'll go back and fix it. But that's not how we identify the word. We identify the word by actually reading it, looking at the word, sounding it out. She's being very tricky here. Next, Dr. Richardson goes on to say that some people are misunderstanding the V in MSV. She says that she watched a recording on the Virginia Education Summit, and during the meeting, a senior policy fellow said, quote, children are being asked to rely on visual cues to look at the picture and determine what the word is. And Dr. Richardson continues by saying that none of the cueing systems requires students to look at the word and decode it. She says this is completely wrong. It's a misunderstanding among science of reading cognitive psychologists. She says that she actually received an email from an expert that said, with MSV, children are encouraged to use those three cues as the way to recognize a word without decoding. They're taught to guess at the word based on its possible meaning. And she goes on to say that if that's what people think V is, no wonder some departments of education are banning reading programs that mention MSV. They don't understand, she says, that the V is about decoding. She says we should call it MSP so people know that the P is actually about phonics. She then goes on to say that meaning is about more than the meaning of the word. It includes knowledge of the word, sentence structure, the context of the word in the sentence, and the S is for structure, which is syntax, the grammatical feature of a word that's in the sentence. Okay, so first of all, when I was a balanced literacy teacher, I had no confusion about what the V meant. I knew that it meant I was supposed to use phonics to some extent. 
However, the professional reading that I did from Regi Routman and Lucy Calkins and others like them, Thonis and Pinnell, did not elevate the visual cue. In fact, sometimes I read that I should use it as a last resort. Sounded out was a last resort because it took the focus away from meaning. I don't like it that she starts this with some misunderstandings by a speaker at an event. I don't think that's representative of most teachers. I don't know for sure, but that seems to be a stretch for me. Back to Dr. Richardson. She says her point is that there's a misunderstanding that the visual is about the picture, but it's not the picture. The visual is about phonics. Again, I really don't think this is the issue. I don't think people think that visual stands for picture. I think they know it stands for looking at the letters and sounding out the word. The issue is that we're also combining these other cues when really we only need one to identify a word. Can we use other clues to confirm a word? Yes, but that's not how we read a word. Dr. Richardson goes on to say that the multiple sources of information a child uses to decode unknown words and construct meaning are sources of information. She says that MSV is grounded in, quote, an integrated theoretical model of reading derived from observational and experimental research. Then she tells P teachers to never prompt a child to guess a word. Do you notice that she mentions observational research? I really think that's where 3 queuing came from. Watching people read. It looks like that's what they're doing, but now we know that that's not how we read words. It's not how efficient readers read words. I really don't like it when people defend their program by saying that research says without putting any research up on the screen. It wouldn't be hard if she really believes research proves that 3 queuing is what we're supposed to be doing. She should pop up some studies right there, but there's nothing. Her next slide tells that we should prompt readers for visual information, then meaning structure. In other words, have them sound out first. That's all well and good, but when you give them these books where they can't sound out the word, I'm not sure how that's going to work. She says, avoid patterned text once kids know letters and sounds. Yeah, that's what they say. That's not what they do. Teach emergent readers to cross-check. Teach early readers to attend to every letter. It's just not true when they talk about in their material how you're supposed to cover the picture so that they look at the word and then try to read it. But then if they can't get it, then look at the picture. How are they attending to every letter? It just doesn't add up. Here's a little video where she's teaching students who are reading a level B text. Remember what they said about level B and level A? You move out of those when kids know letters and sounds. That's really important to remember. So here you go. So again, I had to take this audio out, but in the video, Dr. Richardson is sitting at a table with a group of children reading a level B text. They're reading the book and they're reading, look at me, I am jumping, I am walking, I am sitting. And then Dr. Richardson says, is the word swimming or sitting? And the kids say, sitting. And she says, how do you know? And one little boy says, it's because it doesn't have a W. And then a girl says, it's because it's swimming, but it doesn't have an ing in it. And Dr. Richardson says, well, it does have an ing. Let me show you. There's your ing part. So every one of these words has an ing at the end, doesn't it? Okay. They said kids should not be using level A and B if they know letters and sounds. That one very smart little boy knew that it, sitting could not be swimming because it's missing the W. Hello. He knows a lot about letters and sounds. Why is he not reading decodable books? And then you have that little girl who's really confused and who doesn't think the word has ing. So what is she really learning from this? This just seems very messed up to me. I should note that after that lesson, she teaches them about ing very quickly. We're talking maybe 15 seconds, kind of as an afterthought because that little girl got confused, but clearly they're not following a scope and sequence for teaching their phonics skills, and they're not teaching in a systematic way. 
Back to Dr. Richardson. She says she's going to share some prompts you can use so students aren't guessing. She says if they say an incorrect word, not to let it go, but also not to tell them the word, provide corrective feedback. She says to tell them to check the word so they're using letters and sounds. And then she tells a story about two girls that she saw reading together and they came to the word wants and they sounded out wants and she's thinking to herself, there's no way they're going to get that word. But one of the girls self-corrected and one did not. She says this is where meaning comes in. She says that when we try to reduce reading to merely sounding out letter by letter, not prompting kids to use the meaning of the passage and think about what would make sense, we're actually making reading harder for them. That example she gave there with the two girls who were reading and they sounded out wants as wants and then one of them corrected it, that's exactly what we want kids to do in, quote, the science of reading, though that's not really the correct use of the term because as we know, the science of reading is a body of research. It's called set for variability where you read and then you realize it doesn't quite sound right. That's not how we say it. And then she fixed it. And sure, she used context to do that. That's great. If you know anything about the four-part processor with by Seidenberg and McClellan, we know that we use these different processing systems, but that's not how we read a word. We read a word by decoding it and then we can check it. But I think she's conveniently leaving out the fact that in many, 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 many classrooms, because we've been taught to do this, we teach students to read, I use that in quotes, the word by using context. It's very different than correcting it based on context. In the next section, Dr. Richardson shares some of the phonics activities they do during their word study, which is part of their guided reading lessons. I don't see anything problematic with those. I think it just feels like an add-on, and that's the problem. Like It really should be what you start with, and then you apply it in your reading, and they've got it backwards because it's tacked on to the end of their lesson. I think that these great activities that they have included can be confusing for people, and they think, well, this must be the right program. You need to make sure that the people whose programs you're buying have the big picture correct. Do they understand how students read words? Do they understand orthographic mapping or just use the phrase? Do they understand that 3Qing is not how we read words? Do they understand how best to teach high-frequency words rather than memorizing sight words? I think that's what you really need to look at when choosing a program. Can you trust these authors? We're going to continue on with a conclusion here where Dr. Dufresne shares some general thoughts about research. Dr. Dufresne says that when we claim something is settled science, we need to make sure that we're referencing studies. She says we want to be asking, have the studies been peer-reviewed and published? Is there evidence for the claims? Are there studies that dispute the results? She says we need to be aware of the research and we have to demand that our administrators are really looking at the research. She goes on to say that some people are misrepresenting what the National Reading Panel said, and she quotes the National Reading Panel here, systematic phonics instruction should be integrated with other reading instruction to create a balanced reading program. Phonics instruction is never a total reading program. Phonics should not become the dominant component in a reading program, neither in the amount of time devoted to it, nor in the significance that, has, that is attached to it. She says that very little research has been done about decodable text, and if someone says you should only use decodable text, ask for the research. Don't be swayed by people with a different agenda. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. I think when she talks about her basic caveats for looking at research, I think a lot of that is very worth looking at. When she talks about the National Reading Panel and some things that were shared there. Yes, the National Reading Panel does say that phonics instruction is never a total reading program, but guess what? That's not what science of reading advocates are saying. We're saying that phonics is 
important for the word recognition strand of Scarborough's Reading Rope, for the word recognition domain of the simple view of reading, and that we can't try to bypass that by having kids use context to identify words. We are certainly also advocating the teaching of vocabulary and the building of fluency and comprehension. Phonics should not become the dominant component in a reading program. I think we have to think about what kids need when they need it. When kids are first learning to read, they have to learn the code. So yes, they need a lot of phonics. Is that going to be the main thing for all their years through school? Definitely not. It's a focus at the very beginning, and as they get proficient, then their cognitive load is freed up, and they can focus on other things, more specifically, comprehending the text they're reading. But automaticity has to occur first, and we can't get there without attention to phonics, a lot of attention to phonics. She talks about very little research determined the contributions of decodable books. That is absolutely true. However, we recommend the use of decodables based on research that shows us how kids learn to read words. And if she's going to go ahead on that line and tell people to show the research, I would like to see her research that says that leveled books are best for beginning readers or even that a combination is best because I don't know of any of that research either. My final response to this webinar is that there are some things that are true. And there are some things that are meant to distract you from the big issues, a false representation of what people in the science of reading community are saying. I think this webinar is unfortunate because it confuses people and makes them believe that these authors really are in line with the science of reading when, in my opinion, it looks like they're just trying to defend what they've always done. Those are my thoughts. If you'd like to share yours, please leave them in the show notes for this episode, themeasuredmom.com forward slash 111. We'll be back next week for something different. I'll see you then. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching. 